Man, I'm a little tired. I was I was up late last night watching Ohio State come back and uh, beat Notre Dame. That got me pumped up, and then my heart was pounding so fast. I just couldn't go to sleep for like an hour. So it was a, it was a good night, uh, but a little little tired this morning. But I promise we'll have, we'll have some fun. Uh, let me pray before we jump into scripture um, and and do this. Uh, Father God, uh, please be with us. Spirit, please come. Um, Show us your scripture. Teach us your word. Um, God, I always just pray that um, that I would decrease and that you would increase here and now. Um, Father, speak. Pray this in your name. Amen. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 15 today, and um, we had a few technical difficulties getting some passages, and um, PowerPoint doesn't really speak to Apple stuff, so uh, I'm going to be speaking, or I'm going to be reading from the NIV um, and it will probably be up there in the Holman's Christian Standard Bible, and that's okay. We'll get through it. I'm just going to read a little bit of Matthew 15 before we kind of jump in to, to this passage and a few things. So it says this, Matthew 15, verse 1. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition." You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teaching are but rules taught by men. I'm going to stop there before we continue. Um, I always like to read scripture first because it's just, if I say anything dumb, at least I started off with something really good, if that makes sense. (laughs) Uh, Before I jump into this, I want to share with you all um, a story about one of my old Young Life kids in Ohio. His name was Chris. And so this was um, many years back when I was a Young Life leader. I, was, I wasn't on staff with Young Life. And I got invited to celebrate the Jewish Passover with a church that was doing it with a synagogue. And they were trying to find help in preparing some of the meal and serving it. And so they asked me, um, hey, do you have any Young Life guys that could earn some money for camp? And I said, well, I've, I've got like three or four guys, but they're not Christian, and they're a little wild. And they said, great, those are the kids that we want to help. And so I said, okay, I warned you. And so I got together, three or four guys, and we, we went to this Jewish synagogue um, where, you know, this church was partnering with them to do a Passover meal. And it was great. It started out, we were... We were helping put it on. We were helping serve meals. And uh, as soon as we were done, like, serving the food, they did this kind of, like, time of worship and kind of reading of scripture. And I, I noticed my guys kind of left. And so uh, one of my Young Life guys, his name was Grayson, came in. And he's like, Brian, you got to come outside and check this out. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll come. I didn't know where they were, so I kind of had to go outside to find where they were. And uh, one of my Young Life guys, Chris, he was like this big 350-pound Samoan dude. Um, He had just gotten a manual Chrysler Sebring. It was like the coupe one. It was like an old 2003. 
This was probably like 2014. Do you have a, a picture of it? It had like 142 horsepower. Like it didn't have much. But Chris had mastered doing a burnout, like throwing it in first gear, revving it, and then just taking off. And Chris is doing burnout after burnout in this synagogue parking lot. And I'm like, Chris, you cannot. I'm screaming at him. Everyone's cheering around him. I'm just like, no, they're never going to invite me back. This is the worst idea ever. And so Chris is, I mean, there are skid marks everywhere in this church parking lot. Um, synagogue parking lot. Um, and so I eventually get Chris to stop. And I don't know how or why, but he somehow invited me in the car. And I thought it was a good idea to get in the car. Um, and he was taking me for like a drive around. He wanted me to like see his car. And maybe it was just like me thinking, as long as I get him out of this parking lot, um, that's a good idea. It wasn't. Um, his tires were completely bald. Completely bald. And so we're about to go, and there's, there's a red light that's about to hit. It turns yellow. And instead of slowing down like any normal human being, Chris, being a 17-year-old male who just got a car that he could do burnouts in, guns it. And he tries to turn left and starts spinning his car in this intersection. And I'm screaming, and he's screaming, and we eventually slam into like this side railing, I think. And I just kind of look at him, and I'm like, dude, you're an idiot. <laughs> he's crying at this point. Um, and I forget what happened after that. That's kind of all I remember about that. Uh, but the reason I, I share that story with you all is because that car was not designed to do burnouts. Obviously, it's a 2003 Sebring that had like 142 horsepower. He didn't know better. He just thought tires work and tread doesn't really matter. And you just look cool and do some stupid things. The issue wasn't the car. The issue wasn't even really the tires. It wasn't the synagogue's pavement. It was Chris, right? He was this inexperienced 17-year-old kid who wanted to be a race car driver but didn't really have the correct tools. And so expecting to do something really cool, he got something that was really bad. Yo, we've been talking about, we've been working through um, the Sermon on the Mount for a very long time, right? I, I can't even remember a sermon before the Sermon on the Mount because we've been talking about it for such a long time. And we've been talking about what does it mean to be a part of Jesus's kingdom? Because it's a pretty big deal to understand our responsibility as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are entered into God's kingdom. And that means we have a new identity and a new responsibility, right? And that's why we've been focusing a lot of time on that. And so Jesus' kingdom, it kind of works the same way. It is a tool that we've been given that often is misused, and it can either crash and burn, doing burnouts from immature people, or it can be used as an incredible tool of health and healing. I think our, our church overall does an incredible job. I know a lot of people in this church who have come here, and it's, they've found healing um, from bad church experiences. I've, I've had bad church experiences. But God's kingdom is supposed to be great. It's supposed to be exciting without crashing and burning. But what happens when good gifts are mismanaged and they begin to hurt people? 
Can you throw a picture of um, the map of Israel up there? I, I just want to, it's really small. It was supposed to be larger. That's my fault. That's one of the, the miscommunication parts. Ooh, there you go. But if you can see at the very top, uh, middle-ish, there's a small C. You probably can't see it. It's hard to see. Um, that is the Sea of Galilee. That's where most of Jesus' ministry was. The southern kingdom of Judah was kind of the kingdom that did a little bit better in terms of uh, following who God was. And the northern kingdom was the kingdom that got exiled first. And they're the kingdom that they kind of always crashed and burned. And so Jesus is doing most of his ministry in that place. Okay? And so this story is taking place about 80 miles north of Jerusalem, which is all the way in the bottom, kind of down here-ish. It's, it's happening up there. And so Jesus is 80 miles from Jerusalem, from God's temple, right, where the Pharisees kind of had their headquarters. It was supposed to be the place of God's people. And what we see in the beginning of this story it says this, some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. They walked 80 miles to ask Jesus this question. This wasn't just some random question that they were just kind of walking around. This was very intentional. If you have your Bible open, you can see why they're asking this question. What happens before this incident? In Matthew 14, Jesus had just finished feeding 10 to 15,000 people. Do you think Jesus, in feeding all those people, made sure that they kind of washed their hands, that they had um, done the traditions of the elders? Or do you think Jesus was feeding people? Jesus was just feeding people. This wasn't a Jewish law. This wasn't God's instruction. This was kind of a tradition of the elders. Hey, you, you have to kind of wash your hands and do these certain things because this is what our culture says you have to do. And so that happens. Then Jesus walks across the Sea of Galilee to get to the other side. And on the other side, he is met by crowds and crowds and crowds of people who are paralyzed, who are unclean. And they're running around to Jesus just hoping to touch the edge of his cloak because they believe if we just touch the edge of his cloak, maybe we will be healed. And it says many people are healed. I am sure the Pharisees have walked 80 miles because they just heard, Jesus did what? We've got to put an end to this. And the Pharisees weren't bad people, per se. I mean, they created this sect of the religion because it was their intention to follow the law to the best of their ability. And they truly did that. The thing is, it became unhealthy to some degree, and Jesus notices that and calls it out. So they ask him this question, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before eating. Jesus had just fed all these people, and that is their question. Why aren't you washing your hands? Now, I don't want to oversimplify this. This was a big deal to them. Uh, it's probably not this extreme, but it would kind of be like in our day and age, be like, Brian, why do your friends run red lights? You know, like it was a big deal to them. If we saw somebody run a red light, we'd be like, 
what are they doing? That's a big deal. You're supposed to stop at a red light. It kind of makes up our culture to create a safe space. <clears throat> so I'm not trying to say washing your hands wasn't um, a, a good thing to do. It, it really was. But it was a cultural thing. It was a political thing. And it was a religious issue to the Pharisees. This wasn't just simple. But what I, I think is important is at the heart of this question, they're really asking Jesus, why don't you follow the, the culture of our people? Why don't you follow our culture? And I love this. This is Jesus' response to them. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Jesus comes in hot, okay? And he says this, for God said, honor your father and mother. Does anyone know where that came from? Yeah, it's one of the Ten Commandments. And it's actually, it's commod with a, a prescription, or not a prescription, but a, a side note that God says, does anyone know what God says after that? Yeah, that you will live long in your land. What was Israel's problem? They never lived long in their land. It was supposed to be their land, and they always were exiled, conquered, and sent away. And so Jesus isn't just picking a random command. He's picking a very specific command, and he's throwing it in their face. Jesus is angry, if you haven't caught on to this. He says, for God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You see, they created this, um, this code that with the money that you were supposed to use to honor your mother and father and to take care of them, if you actually dedicated it to the temple, you didn't have to take care of your mom or dad. And you actually didn't have to pay that money to the temple right away. You could use that money in the meantime for whatever you wanted to use it for. So they kind of sidestepped this, you should take care of your mom and dad now, and kind of made this like, I don't know, financial code in which they could use the money they wanted to right now. They just had to, at some point in their life, dedicate that money to the temple. And so Jesus, he's furious right now because God's instruction was not made to sidestep helping people, especially your mom and dad. They created this system of bypassing, and it was infuriating Jesus. You see, they kind of cared for continuing cultural behavior that they deemed appropriate because it was reinforced by their peers and the social structure that was normal to them. They just didn't trust in God. The Pharisees' way of, of doing life, it was flat out. I mean, it was just easier to fulfill. It was easier to do. It was easier to dedicate some money in the future and use it for yourself right now and kind of tell your mother and father, like, hey, let someone else take care of you. Um, I'm just, we're just going to do this right now. And it was kind of what culture said, hey, that's fine. And they thought to themselves, well, because it's dedicated for a good thing, God's really not going to be angry at us. 
because we've figured out this way to kind of sidestep who God is and what he cares for. And we never do that. I mean, I, thinking about myself, I never <laughs> rationalize my behavior or how I treat people because based off of the American culture, it, it's just easier to do, but really, like, I, God probably doesn't care that much. You know, we, we barter all the time as God's people. It's true. Who is my neighbor? Like, the people down the street and, like, you turn a left, they're not really my, like, they're not touching my property, so, so are they actually my neighbor? Um, I do that all the time. I'm seriously guilty. There's people on my street that I don't think I've had a conversation with, um, and they're probably the people in my neighborhood that I need to have a conversation with the most, just being completely honest. I don't even know where to start or how to start, but all I know is I do that. And I think a lot of the American culture is, is it easy and is it productive well, then let's absolutely do it, right? We don't even think about, is the product of that easy in production, is it actually good? Well, if it's easy and it's doing something, then God must care, and he must be saying that's, that's a blessing. But is it actually God's will? Is it producing what God actually wants us to produce in his church, in our family's lives, in our own lives? And so Jesus continues We've talked about Isaiah a lot, um, but Jesus quotes Isaiah, and he says this, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. So the problem is their lips are saying good things, right? But their hearts are actually wicked. They're teaching, they're worshiping, but the doctrine behind that, it's, it's bad. And Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, this is, this is who you are. And I'm sure they're furious because there's no way, Jesus, we are God's people. And in fact, we are the ones who are keeping God's commands the closest. We are fulfilling them the most. But Jesus' diagnosis of them is that your sacrifice has re actually replaced mercy. Your sacrifice has replaced mercy, and that's not in a good way. Israel had a serious identity crisis in which their traditions and what they could do, kind of like the money, they could sacrifice that <clears throat> to the Lord, but it kind of covered up true mercy which was God's desire for his people, to be a people of mercy. He doesn't desire sacrifice, he desires mercy. And as I was kind of thinking about this, I, I shamefully, um, I watched the Barbie movie recently. Has anyone watched the Barbie movie? We've got a few women. I might be the only man in this room <laughs> who watched the, oh, yes, please, raise your hand, Mick. I did. Yes, yes, you did, raise your hand. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> it, there's a lot to say about the Barbie movie, toxic masculinity and women's role and all that stuff. Um, but as, I, as I'm watching this movie, the very end, I, it was so profound. It was so profound, okay? And I'm, I'm having a conversation with one of my uh, Young Life um, people who's on staff with me. He's my really good friend. And we're talking about the end of this movie 
Barbie finally tries to become a real woman. I'm so, I'm so, are you really going to try and watch it, Tim? <laughs> it's already on DVD. Yeah, you can, you can rent it on Amazon Prime. That's what I did. Anyways, <clears throat> this is, um, something happens and then, uh, <laughs> spoiler, you can edit that out. Uh, she tries to become a real woman. Um, and it ends with this very profound song. And I was just sitting here and I was almost in tears. I'm serious. Because um, it's like the heart cry of our culture. And before I say anything else, could you, could you do this? We kind of like cut in some scenes and this is a song.
Man, uh, I'm supposed to preach next week. We'll see if I'm invited back. But uh, <laughs> I hope, did you, did you hear those words? Oh my gosh. Waiting for something I'm made for. Like that's our culture's description of humanity. What, what are we made for? There's no answer. They don't have an answer. I mean, we're literally just, I was listening to those words and I was thinking about so many of my Young Life guys um, who would, I'm, we're, we're having a hoedown and that's going to be our content song. And I'm thinking about how many kids are going to be um, in the crowd singing that song and literally have no idea what the answer is. No idea. And we're sitting here in a building and we literally know the answer, what you're made for, it's Jesus. That's literally the it's Jesus. We're supposed to be God's kingdom. And sometimes we care more about sacrifice than mercy. Even for ourselves, if we deep down ask that question, what are we made for? I don't know, to be my profession? I, I get mixed up in that. And my, if I lost my job tomorrow, being on Young Life staff, I don't know what my life would look like because my identity becomes so wrapped up in doing ministry that sometimes I get lost in that. What were we made for? And I share that because as I was thinking about where to go next, I, just thinking about what does Paul say as he walks through, it, you know, in Romans, he, he walks through sin and, and our depravity and what we have to offer God. Now, it's not much, but because of Jesus, we've been raised with Christ, we've been justified, we've been sanctified, we've been declared righteous, in his, and he, he, everything highlights into a, a therefore in chapter 12. What Paul says is, in light of everything, of what we're made for, in who we are, he says, therefore, I urge you, this is what you're made for, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Amen. In light of whose mercy? Whose mercy is it? It's God's. And what are we to do with that mercy? Offer ourselves. It's not sacrifice. It's understanding God's mercy towards us. I've got, I've got to offer myself as a sacrifice. That's the only thing I can do. And then don't be conformed to what? Yeah, our, our culture. I mean, this is like this story about Jesus and why he's frustrated at the Pharisees. This is like it. This is exactly wrong with who they were and what is going on in their culture. And what does Paul say so you can test What? God's will, what he wants. In Jesus' kingdom, it goes God's mercy, our identity, 
and in a response, a sacrifice. If our sacrifices aren't based off of God's mercy to us and a new identity of who we are, our sacrifice isn't worth much. It's just not. It might be easy and it might be replicable by, the, by our culture's standards, but it might not actually be what God wants. The Bible's prescription of who we are, we don't have much to offer God. In fact, we actually have negative to offer God. God gives us something in response of who we are. We literally, we literally have negative things to offer God. But Jesus gives us a new identity after we have been reconciled with him, after we have entered into his kingdom. And so in Matthew 15, 10 through 20, it's a little long. It says this. This is Jesus' response to those people who is hearing this argument. He says this. Jesus called the crowds to him, and he said, listen and understand what goes in to a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you heard this? And Jesus is like, yes, that was the point. <laughs> he replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters a mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, these are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, understand these traditions that we do, the things that you sacrifice, those don't make you unclean. It's, it's your heart. It's how you understand what the Lord has done for you. That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. It's Jesus that makes us clean. And that is, that is the heart call of the people of the kingdom of God. It's Jesus. And so we are often kind of like Chris, just doing burnouts because we think it's awesome, <laughs> driving around. Uh, a souped-up Sebring, because that's all we have, but it, that car was meant to be driven in a different way. God's kingdom is meant to be driven in a different way. It is meant to be used as a tool responsibly that produces mercy. It produces mercy. And so where I kind of just want us to land as we think about um, leaving is this has to be really practical because Jesus fed those people and it was practical. He didn't just tell them how to get bread and then say, all right, see you later um, after like a three-point sermon. and <laughs> Like it was mercy. It was, it was pure mercy. I just want us to stack hands 
that as we leave, if you're going to grab lunch with your family or tonight a dinner, just stack hands on what's one thing you can change in your family to offer mercy to each other or the people around you. You don't have to sacrifice some huge thing. You don't have to say, all right, we're going to finally start giving a ton of money to the show. That, God doesn't care about your sacrifice. He cares about your heart. He cares about you following Jesus and offering mercy. And if that includes that, wonderful. But I'm telling you right now, the Lord does not care about your sacrifice because he did not care what the Pharisees had to offer him. And they sacrificed the most in terms of obeying the law. I'm just going to challenge you. Stack hands as a family, as a person if you're single, or if you're dating in your relationship, or, or however it may look like. Just stack hands on how can we offer real practical mercy to each other, to our family, to the people around us on a day-to-day basis. Please, may we not be a church of just the blind leading the blind. What a tragedy that would be because the world is, is singing songs I don't know what I was made for. It's in the top 10 songs. It's probably one or two or three. People just singing, I don't know what I'm made for. I'm just waiting for what I was made for. We've got the answer. We know it deep down. Show it with our mercy. Let's pray. Father God, I just, um, I thank you for the story. God, I thank you that your anger um, was real and that, that we see that in Scripture, that you do get angry. Uh, man, that the Old Testament, you, you let your people be conquered because they were just selling themselves, that they weren't taking care of the poor. All of the laws that, that put restrictions and boundaries on, on helping those people, the, the needy, the poor, the, the foreigners, the widows, uh, they kind of brushed those aside because they created better systems that didn't have to um, put them in those positions. But God, you're looking at us and you're saying, please don't create systems that hurt people. Please don't create systems that, that make you turn a blind eye to those that really need help. God, we, may we be a people that show mercy and speak the truth when people are asking that question of what was I made for? Because if people are willing to sing it out loud, and if people are willing to put it at the end of a really popular movie, God, it's a true question that people are asking. Lord, give us the words and allow us to see what true sacrifice is. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.